1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for there is, this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of, all of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossip, gossips ah, <laughs> and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give their adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the children not be burdened, so that it may so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This has been a reading of God's Word. Uh, I am excited about looking at this passage of, of God's Word. It's one of those sections within the Word of God that you're kind of surprised when you come to it because of the detail that's given to, to the instruction there and, and who it's for. But I want to start with this. You can't really understand 1 Timothy chapter 5 without understanding the broader concept of of the church's family. Family is a significant thing. There were these uh, two women who were living in Connecticut at the time, and, and they met while working at the same job. And in 2013, uh, Julia uh, Tanetti and Cassandra Madison, they met while they were working at a bar. They became fast friends. They discovered they had a lot in, in common. In fact, the first thing that they noticed about one another was that they each had a, a Dominican Republic flag uh, tattoo. They discovered that they were both originally from the Dominican uh, Republic, that they had been uh, adopted. They grew up in Connecticut. They had similar fashion styles. Uh, they were only about a year and a half uh, apart in age, and so they really, really connected. They looked so much alike that friends at work used to call them the sisters. And they began thinking to themselves, wait a second, I'm adopted. You're adopted. I'm from the Dominican Republic. You're from the Dominican Republic. Maybe we are adopted. So they actually one day said, okay, go home, get your birth, your you know, adoption paperwork, and let's bring it, let's look at it together. And sure enough, they pulled out their paperwork, and they looked at their paperwork, and they had different birth mothers. Uh, their fathers weren't recorded in the documentation, and so they realized, oh, that's, that's too bad. And then about two years after that, uh, one of them, Julie, she decided to do the 23andMe DNA testing. And she did her DNA testing, and when it came back, she discovered, in fact, that she still had family in the Dominican Republic. She, she had a father. She made contact with him, discovered that her 
birth mom had passed away, but she had seven siblings in the Dominican Republic. And she was just blown away. I have an Insta family. She thought this was amazing. She came back and she told her friend Cassandra <clears throat> about it. And, and she said, you know, I know what our paperwork said, but I think you should do a 23andMe test. In fact, she brought it with her. She says, I bought it for you. Do it. Now spit in this cup. And she's like, <laughs> her friend Cassandra's like, I don't know, you know if I want to do it. She says, please, please, for me, do it. And she did it. And lo and behold, they were, in fact, siblings. They were sisters. The paperwork had been wrong about their mothers. And she went to her dad in the Dominican Republic, and she said, Julie, who had found out first, she's like, why didn't you tell me that, you know, I, I had this other sister? And she's like, and he said, you know, I was, a, I was a bit embarrassed about it. We had adopted her out before you. I just didn't want to bring it up because I was kind of a, ashamed. It was kind of a family secret. She's like, well, here she is. And so here, Cassandra was able to be introduced to this family. And they both said the same thing. They loved each other as friends, but when they realized that they were actual sisters. It just, it just changed it. When you discover that you're part of a family, that there's just, there's something about, you know, blood is thicker than what? Water, right? You've heard that saying? Well, here's what the scriptures proclaim. This is something that is so central to the life of a Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in him, the Bible proclaims that through Christ and his work, your sins are forgiven. You have been made righteous in God's eyes, not just potentially, but you are righteous. You've been set free from the power of sin. You've been given the Holy Spirit. But one thing that the scriptures come to again and again, and actually Timothy is proclaimed in this book, is that you become an adopted part of God's family. Along with all those other things that Christ has done for us, he makes us not potential family. He doesn't make us like family. He makes us sons and daughters of God. So listen to me as clearly as I can. Say this. We are not as a church like family. So when I say, good morning church family, I'm not saying our church is, is like a family. The Bible proclaims we are family. You're not going to understand what Paul has to say in chapter 5 and the instructions that are given here if you do not have in your mind this concept that the church is family. In fact, Paul said it first in 1 Timothy 3. We've looked at these verses over and over because they're central to the text. I hope to come to you soon, Paul says, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. The church is God's family. The person sitting next to you, if they are saved in and through Jesus Christ, are not like a brother to you, like a sister to you. They are your brother and sister. And here's the crazy thing. They will be for eternity. And you might say, I don't like him that much now. Don't worry, you'll like the new heaven part of him, right? They'll be great then. No, that's who we are. And the reason why Paul said it was because, well, John said it in his gospel first. In John 1.12, he said, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're children of God, collectively, together. And where did John get this? He got it from Jesus. Jesus was the first one to lay down this unique 
relationship that happens between those who become followers of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who first laid down this concept that your brother or sister in the Lord is actually closer to you than your biological family member. Jesus said in Mark 3.31, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of the Father, he is my brother and sister and mother. That's Jesus. You want to know how closely we are tied to one another in Christ. That's how closely we are tied. Now, praise God, if you have biological family members that also profess faith in Christ and are called into his kingdom. But Jesus says, listen, whatever you think about the church and those sitting next to you, these are your brothers and sisters. It's upon us to really take this in and to work this over in our minds. We're really being called by God's word to take and put a new filter over our lens so that when we look at each other, this is the mindset we are to have. We're not called to be friends. We are called family, though. Friendship is built around experiences, personalities, similarities, likes, and dislikes. Family's made by blood. And the blood that made our family is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so even going back to a moment, listen, you're going to be closer to some people in your family than you are to others based upon personalities and things like that. But listen, isn't it great that God's word doesn't call us to be friends? (laughs) He calls us to be what? family because that's what you are. And what he does here in these verses is he spells out for us exactly how we are to view one another in the midst of this. Look at verses 1 through 2 for a moment. This helps him, that is Paul, as he describes to Timothy how he's to engage, that is Timothy, as an elder in the church, as a younger elder, it appears, in the church, to those around him. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all what? Purity. Right here, Paul says, it should be pretty easy for you to understand how you are to engage those around you who are both older and younger, of the same gender and of different gender. Paul says, take your framework for the family and how the family engages itself and now implement that in your life as a leader in the church. And the first thing that he says is, he gives this instruction. Treat those who are older, the older men, with respect like you would fathers. When Paul leaves this out for Timothy, he's both saying something that's remarkable and and unremarkable. It's remarkable in the sense that he's calling our attention to the reality that in the ancient world, if you were a Christian, like family was everything. Family was everything. You needed your family to survive. And yet Paul is coming and saying, now the church becomes your family. And so older men in the church, well, Timothy, I want you to engage them like you would your own father. And here's why that is the, that's an unremarkable statement. is because they understood, even in the Roman context and the Jewish context, that within a family structure, a father was to be engaged with respect, with, with deference. Paul isn't saying here that if you're a younger person in the church, that you can't correct an older person. 
that you can't speak words of encouragement to an older person. He's saying when you approach them, you are to engage them with the deference and respect that you would a father, recognizing their years. And what you're going to find is in all of these instructions that he gives, listen, I don't care who you are, unless you were a dear saint in our church who was 103, someone's always going to be older than you, <laughs> and somebody's always going to be younger than you within the church. And so he says, for those of you that are, that are older than you, when you look to engage them, do you have the mindset of treating them like you would a father, who even in a secular culture like Ephesus would understand that there was deference to be given? When it comes to those who are younger than you, look at what he says. The second thing that he says is, treat the younger men as your equal, like brothers. When he talks about treating the younger men like, like brothers, there was the idea of, obviously, there's firstborns. But within the structure of the family, this is why we say we're to treat those who are younger than us like equals. Because Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, you're a pastor in the church. There's going to be those who are older than you. But just because you have the position of authority, just because you have, you know, God's word ultimately there as your guide and to give you that authority to speak into people's lives, be careful how you speak to the older people and be careful how you speak to those who are younger than you. Just because you might be older than some, it doesn't mean that you're to steamroll or to simply just crush those underneath you and to, to abuse your, your power. View them as you would your own brothers. The concept here is to engage them as equal. Don't lord it over them. I just, I love how he gives these two extremes to caution Timothy, but to caution any believer in the church that there is a way we are to view one another those who are older like fathers, those who are younger like brothers. And then he says, <clears throat> I'm not done. That's how you should think about those who are of the, the same gender as you. But when it comes to, to the women in the church, he refers to both older women and younger women. Ladies, I'm going to let you decide what category you want to fall into on that, right? right? Like, that's up to you. But, it, but for those who are older, he says, Timothy, you need to treat them with care and respect like you would a mother. Now, just like with the father, you just show them respect. But why do we add the word care? Because what we're going to see in the rest of chapter 5. In fact, it's really spelled out clearly in the rest of chapter 5. How, if you have a mother in her later years, you are to care for her. And so for those women in the church, there is a respect and there is a care for them. Are they being provided for? Are they being taken care of? Care for the older women. Respect them like you would your own mother. And then he says, but what do you do with the younger women? Look at what he says. Treat the younger women with sexual purity like a sister. And, and I really, I love this, what Paul does here for Timothy. You know, this was really countercultural in so many ways. You see, it's even countercultural today. In the ancient world, the biblical times, as... As we should view it today, there's really only two categories of people. When the Bible addresses people, they're either single or they're married. Those are the two categories that you can fall into. You're either a, a single person or you're a married person. There's, there's no talk of, of the dating season. There's no talk of even engagement and how people are to function in those times. There's just kind of two categories, singled and married. But what do you do? How do you think about, in today's world in particular, and even in Paul's day, well, how do you get from single to married? What's that supposed to look like? How, how, do, I, how do I move from a relationship with somebody um, when we're both single to, to being married? The answer, arranged marriages. They're great. I would just say, go with it. That's right. Well, that's actually been culture's answer in one sense. Just arranged marriage, I think. Do you know why women wore veils? 
right? Do you know why they covered their faces? Like the, the historic, do you, don't, do you know the answer for this, right? Women wore veils historically because a man did not see the face of his bride until they were at the altar until they had already made their covenant of marriage with one another and then the veil was lifted and you may now what? Kiss the bride. There was a very practical reason behind that. <laughs> are, are you tracking with me? Um, and so that's what the, the issue, Paul's, Paul's laying down here something so beautiful, so freeing, actually. And I pray for our young people. Like, if, you have, if you're a parent and you have young people, like, this will help tremendously, this one little statement. Treat younger women as sisters. What God is coming to us and saying here, and he says it elsewhere, is the idea for those who are single as you would want to move towards marriage with a specific young lady, is that in that season, you are to engage that person as you would your own sister. And in case, because we're stupid, we don't understand what that means, he actually has to throw on one word. Did you see the word? With all what? Purity. Why would Paul have to put that word on it? Like, shouldn't it be obvious enough what it means to treat younger women as sisters? Because we'd be like, well, that's a broad range. No, it's not. <laughs> it's sexual purity. And so what, what Paul in God's word lays out, it's like, here's how you should think about relationship with those of the opposite sex. You should engage them as you would your own sister. I don't know about you, but as my sister and I got older, like, we would go out for coffee or I'd take her out to lunch. We'd, I'd hold my sister's hand. But there are a lot of other things I won't do with my sister. Are you, are you tracking with me? Like there's certain, some obvious lines that you know, like I've crossed that, like that's not, ugh. it's like Luke and Leia, right? Did you see Star Wars? Spoiler alert, right? It's like in one movie they kiss each other and they find out they're brother and sister and they're like, ah, right? Why? Because we know that you don't do that with your sister. Because she's your sister, she's not your wife. So until she becomes your wife, you treat her like a sister. Can you imagine how freeing that would be in relationships with members of the opposite sex? Is to live in that kind of purity and not have to be like, well, where's the line? Well, where's the, it's obvious. She's your, you look at her like you would a sister. Get to know her, engage with her. It doesn't mean that there can't be some expression of affection, but it's not sexual in nature. No way. Because listen, he says, with all what? Purity. So, so, so when we think about one another, and even for singles in the life of a church, even as we raise our children in the life of the church, it's all right here spelled out. This is how we engage. And there's a freedom that comes from this. And there's a joy that actually comes in living this out. And it becomes a countercultural way of showing, listen, the church, it's a whole different type of people than the world. Because we live by a different ethic. Because we serve a different king. Because we've been saved into a righteousness that's not our own. So we are family. And that's just to lead and guide how we think and when we say this too, by the way, one of the things that I've heard over the years in ministry is people have come and they've said, you know, one of the things that turns me off from the church is that there's talk about the church being family, but the church hasn't cared for me like, like family. People aren't aware of me or they don't engage me. And I'm sorry when people have that experience. It always, always breaks, breaks my heart when I, when I hear that. But some people say, you know, I just don't go to church because they, they talk a good game, but they ultimately don't live it out. To which I say, if I'm truly a follower of Jesus Christ, I read a passage like this, where I'm called to engage people as family. And I believe that it's not about me evaluating how well other people treat me like a family member. That's not the point of this passage. Like, you don't go home and be like, like you know, so-and-so, 
they're not treating me like a father. <laughs> you know, so-and-so, like, the question that we need to ask is, am I living in light of this? Am I living this out? And just as sometimes it can be hard to live with, you know, your, your normal family members, <laughs> so too, even within the life of the church, there are going to be people that are hard to love. But why can I love and care for people that might not show the same love and care back in return for me? The answer is really simple. Because there is someone in the church who has, despite all the times I have failed to love and care and serve them, have never ceased doing that for me. And his name is Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ is the ultimate brother and who didn't, on the night that he was betrayed, breaking bread with the disciples saying, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. These guys are all going to deny me. These guys are going to turn away from me. They're, they're, they don't really care about me because they won't, they won't do the things that I'm going to No, Jesus said, I'm going to give my life for them to radically change by the infusion of my grace into their lives and into your life and my life to change these people. He makes us a family, but he also gives us the ability to live it out. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Is it going to be easy at times? No. Are people not going to care for you? Yeah, they won't. Trust me. <laughs> but I look to my Savior who always cares, who always serves, and who has empowered me to live in this way. And after he gives these instructions, after he talks about us being family, then he comes and he gives one final instruction of the next 13 verses. And we're going to kind of fly through this because it's just kind of one instruction and then he gives it three qualifications as far as who is to receive what he is saying here. It's found in verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, Honor widows who are truly widows. With this verse, with the first part of this verse, Paul is introducing the call upon God's people, upon the church, to care for widows. This is Paul's instruction after saying, we are family. If you understand that we are family, then you need to care for widows in your midst. And if you know the scriptures, this shouldn't come as any surprise that this would be the instruction that God gives through Paul to Timothy, the pastor of this church. Because our God, this is so beautiful, has always demonstrated from the very beginning his care, his compassion, and his heart for the fatherless and for the widow. When he gives the fifth commandment in Exodus 22, verses 22 and 23, right after that he says, do not take advantage of the orphan or the widow. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. If you read that like a threat, you should. <laughs> because later, when he judges Israel, one of the things that he accuses them of was their failure to be a people who cared for the orphan and the widow. In Deuteronomy 10.18, he would say these words, or it would be said of God, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. Jesus even shows the heart of God the Father here on earth when he ultimately raises the widow of Nain's son from the dead. God has a heart for the orphan and for the widow. That's why in the book of Acts, when we read Acts chapter 6, we, we talked about this when we talked about deacons. The church 
quickly saw a need to care for a certain group of widows within the church, and so they appointed deacons to ultimately care for those widows. Why? Because this is what the people of God have been known to do. And do you know why I believe God has always demonstrated such attentiveness and such care for the widow and for the orphan? It's because those who are widows who do not have family, those who are orphans who do not have family, are a picture of every single one of us. What sin did when it came into the world was it separated us from our father. We became the fatherless. We became the one without family. We became the one without a husband. They're a picture of us. And what does God do for those who are the fatherless and the widow? He cares for them. And we as a church then, as Paul is going to show us here, are called to ultimately be the hands and feet of Jesus to the widow. But look back at verse 3. Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows. Did you notice that? He's going to say it again. Does anything seem funky about that statement? Because like, isn't a widow a widow? (laughs) Like, what's a true widow? Like, if a widow is a woman whose husband has died, then a true widow, like, what happened to that husband, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, if she, how do you become a true widow? What Paul's doing here is he's setting us up for describing that within the life of the church, there are those that we as a church are supposed to give particular attention and care to because they are who he calls truly widows, So who are those that we're called to care for? Well, he tells us, starting in verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Okay, here we go. So, So a true widow, we're starting to see that we're getting a picture here, is someone who does not have children or grandchildren to care for them. He gets even more specific. Look at verse 16, all the way at the end. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. Paul understands that there's different categories of widows. And he's saying to Timothy, as you're looking to shepherd the church, as you're looking to care for the church, give special attention to those who do not have family members to care for them. That's the first qualification. The first qualification, the widows we are to care for, are those who have no family members who can care for them. Those are the true widows. Paul is so serious about this that look at what verse 8 says. He comes in verse 8 and he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than what? An unbeliever. He's like elevating things here, isn't he? He's coming and he's saying, this is how serious I am about this. A a true widow is someone who has no one to care for, for her. No family, no grandchildren, no children. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you proclaim faith in him, and you have a family member who is a widow, it is your responsibility, first and foremost and primary, to make sure that they are being cared for. And if you don't, 
Notice what he says, you're worse than an unbeliever. Do you know why he says that? Because even at that time, unbelievers, even the secular Romans, knew that they were called to care for their own family members. It was their duty to do so. And if a Christian says, well, you know, now I'm part of the family of Christ, you know, my widowed mom, not a believer, not my problem. You know, she's not part of the family anymore, right, Dave? No, Paul says, you need to care for her. This is God's calling. In fact, I would say this. How you care for your family members, Paul is telling us, is a testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. He is elevating how we care for our own family members providing for them as a way of proclaiming the reality of our faith in Jesus Christ. Christian sons, Christian daughters are responsible for the care of the widows in their family. Today, we have Social Security. People are encouraged to make investments. We have Medicare and Medi-Cal and all of these things. And so sometimes we can get a little, I don't know, loosey-goosey with, with this. Sometimes the government has stepped in and they, they take care of the needs of the family. But even if the financial needs of a widowed family member is being taken care of, it does not negate that just as significant, just as important is to be there to provide the social, emotional needs of our older family members who do not have anyone around them anymore. It's not just, ah, I got my parents taken care of financially, they're, they're, they're good to go. It's no. Are we engaged in a holistic understanding of what it means to be in relationships? It's not just writing a check. And by the way, I said this the first hour, and so I'll say it this hour too. I've been in this church almost two decades. So I have seen people go through every season of life. I've seen people who are now my age be, when, it, when I started, now are in retirement. And, and so when you watch that progress, one of the things I have heard really well-meaning, loving, good couples say is this. I don't want to be a what? Burden on my children. I get why you say that, but they were a burden on you for 18 years, okay? We need to take that mindset and say, I get it. Be wise, be discerning, and how you invest in those kind of things. I get all of that, but listen to God's word. Your children, your grandchildren are to care for you. If they're in the faith, this is God's calling on them. It is a way for them to display what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. Don't rob them of that privilege. Now, some of you are like, we're traveling tomorrow, baby. We're going to spend it all. You know, no, what I'm saying is let this mindset be in you and in the hearts of your children that what family does, church family and biological family, if we're Christians, is we care for one another. This is, what, this is what we are to be. This is what we are to do. Is it always going to be easy? It, 
if for myself, like my parents were here in the first hour, and I was like, boy, I'm saying all these things right in front of them, right? They're going to be like, remember that sermon on May 15th? You know? And they're like, like, I have the record right here. You promised. Yes, I did. And we should. We should be able to say, this is our calling to one another, our commitment. And when it gets hard, and it will, as one dear sister told me afterwards, they said, you know what you need to tell the people? I said, I wholeheartedly agree with this. She says, one of the things is that when we do that, when we care for our parents, it's part of our sanctification as well. She said, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I started caring for my parents. I think it's a beautiful thing. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather be a selfish person or would you rather be an unselfish person? According to the word of God, you would want to be unselfish. You want to be self-giving. Would you be willing to put up with your parents if, God would, if that's what God would use to make you that way? <laughs> and you shouldn't view it as putting up with them. You should view it as an opportunity to apply what God's word says. So, the, so that's the first point that he makes. Here's the qualification. Those who do not have family to care for themselves. But then secondly, he gives what I call a moral qualification for care. Look at verses 5 and 9. She who is truly a widow, there it is again, left all alone. So in case you don't know who I'm talking about, there are those who are all alone. But who has her hope set in, on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. That's kind of strong, isn't it? But what's he doing here? He's making a distinction. He's saying, listen, if you're going to offer this kind of care, you need to offer it to those who are part of the church, who are believers in Jesus Christ. This is just any kind of widow that receives this kind of care. He goes on in verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. We'll talk about that in a minute. Having been the husband of one wife and having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up her children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Do you know the kind of widow that he's describing here? He's describing a widow who has followed Christ in word and deed. Those are those who qualify. Those who follow Christ in word and deed. Those are the widows who the church is called to care for because those are the widows you know are a part of your church family. Their life, their testimony, and not just their lips, has shown that they follow Christ and are therefore a part of this thing called the family of God. Now, why would he give Paul this stipulation? I'll tell you why he gives him this stipulation. The church became so well known in those first centuries for how they cared for the widow. In comparison to the secular world, that you had these women who had become widows, because remember, women back then, they were often younger than their husbands, often significantly so, and the husbands would often die first. And so you'd have these women who would know that the church cares for widows, and they would profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, but there's no testimony of them following Christ. And, and the church only has so many resources that it can give. And so Paul's cautioning Timothy against giving resources, time and energies to those who are not truly of the faith. Now, does that mean that the church doesn't help the poor and doesn't help the destitute? That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the particular care that the church is to give and the way that the church is to treat those who are part of its life who are genuinely widows. And he says, evaluate their character. Evaluate their service. Evaluate their faith through their word and through their deeds. 
There is also here an encouragement to those who are widows. Did you see it? If you're a widow, a single woman who has no family, one of the things that Paul is actually encouraging widows in this passage with is this. Here's their message. Serve the church with what you have. Don't just feel like you have to sit on the bench. My husband died. I don't have any family. There's nothing for me in the life of the church. No, Paul gives a bunch of things that a woman, even a widow who might not have any financial means can still do. She can show hospitality to the saints. She can pray for the church. She can serve the afflicted, even with her own presence. If she has abilities, physically, emotionally, whatever they might be, Paul says, don't just view your life as a widow as something that you just sit on the bench. He's talking about women who are widows who are currently serving in this way. So if they have no families to care for them, these are the women who would qualify. But they must have a testimony, a life that shows that they are genuine followers of Christ. And then finally, he gives his last category. And the last category is found in verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. He expands on that in verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now this is kind of a strange verse unless you understand that Timothy knew, Paul knew, and the church in Ephesus knew what he was talking about. He knew that there were younger widows who had come to the church, who the church had been caring for, but ultimately because they were still able to be remarried and still desired those things, which is right and good and part of God's design, as we saw last week, they ultimately even, well, they turned away from the faith and they pursued relationships with those who weren't even Christians. And so Paul says, just be careful. Be careful to to encourage women to just simply give up on marriage and just to accept their status as widows. Look at verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would, I would have younger women marry, he says. Bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. Listen, Paul is just coming and giving very practical wisdom to the church. As you look at young women, just because they've lost their husband, don't let them fall into this idea that they can't remarry. Let them know that that they can remarry. If that's a desire upon them, help them to pursue that. But if they, here's the final kind of qualification. He's saying that those who are unable to remarry or to take care of themselves, that's who the church is to take care of. If they can't remarry or take care of themselves, like this is ultimately the category you need to focus on. The others... Encourage them towards having a family. Encourage them to continue to to live their lives. Encourage them not to be idle, but but to find ways to provide for themselves. This is ultimately how the church should function, how it should view its care for those who are in need. You know, we had a situation not all that long ago that was actually kind of an, an illustration of this. You know, somebody could look at what Paul says here and like, wow, these are kind of, you know, stringent qualifications. So Dave, you're telling me that if a younger woman has a husband who passes away, if she's not 60 years old, even if she has family that can, that can care for her, that the church won't do anything for her? I'm saying, yeah, no, you're right. No, no, that's not it. 
These are the guidelines that God gives his church to be implemented with wisdom. But even in the life of our church, those of you know, we had a dear, sweet missionary couple, Luke and Ashley Sullivan. Luke and Ashley, um, Luke grew up in our church. He got married. They had three kids, and we sent them to go be missionaries in Guatemala, where Luke was going to be a pilot. They were on the mission field in Guatemala for just under four weeks when Luke was in a terrible, terrible plane accident, and he lost his life, leaving behind his young wife and their three children. No husband to provide for them. Ashley had family around her. We had made a financial commitment to them to provide for them and to support them as missionaries. Ashley was no longer going to be able to fulfill that commitment. And so we called her up. We said, you're not 60. You have family. We're not going to help you anymore. That's what we said. No, we didn't do that. Come on now. No. We came alongside of her. We honored our commitment. Eventually, though, that financial commitment was able to end because today Ashley's remarried. She has a husband who loves Jesus and who loves those girls and is being a father to them that we know Luke would have wanted to be. And so is there room within these things? Are we overly stringent? No, we are a compassionate church. We look to live out what God's word says, but we look to live it out applying the wisdom that God's word provides. And so we want to be known as a people that view ourselves as family because that's who we are. And we want to be known as a people who care for even the, those who the world would consider the least in our midst because it is a display of the care that God has provided for us. And I'll close with just kind of then two observations in the midst of this. Number one, I pray that you would hear these words today and recognize first that God throughout the scriptures demonstrates and shows the utmost care and value for women. I'm always so disappointed when I hear people take a knock at Christianity and, and proclaim Christianity, you know, it's about the subjugation of, of women, the oppression of women. It's all about the patriarchy and all those things. I say, look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 that comes and calls God's people to look at women and to say, if you have widows in your midst, you are to value them, you are to care for them, you are to treat all women, if they are in the church, older than you, like you would your own mother— Younger women, like your own sisters, there's a continued refrain within the word of God about the value and the worth of women because we are all made in the image of, of God. But then a second thing that stands out to me from this, and that is what I said in the beginning, is the power, the power of Christ that compels us to live out these truths the reflection that we have an older brother in Jesus Christ who has done everything that we're called to do in this passage. And not only did he do it and does it for us, but by his grace he empowers us to do the same. And so when we read these instructions to live as family and to care for the widow, that doesn't become just something that we might be able to do. It's something that we know that we can embrace and that we can live out. And it's why if you're in a connection group this week, the connection group questions that we have, and it's in the back side of your bulletin, the very last question that we ask you to consider this week is this. Who do you know? 
who's a widow in the church, do you even know any? And if you do, how might God call you with the resources, time, and capacity that you have to care for them in a very practical way? And if you might say, I don't know who that is, I don't know how I could help. It's part of the reason why we have the deacon ministry in the church. They know who those individuals are. You can contact the church and we'll put you in contact with, with those in our senior care list that, that we know fall into this category that we look to provide for and care for. When you give to the Mercy Fund, you help to support the needs often of the widows in our church. And by the way, when I talk about widows, if there's an older single woman who never got married, we consider her in that category, don't we? If there's an older man who doesn't have family, like we care for those people. And we do it and we believe that we can because ultimately Christ has done it for us first. And Lord, help us to live this out, to be known as a people who do this in our community and to our family around us. Let's pray. Lord, we get to call upon you in this moment by the name Father because, Lord, that's where we started. We started with that reflection that you are our dad, our father, the creator of heaven and earth, the king of kings, yet you have brought us into your family through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we would just pray that by your spirit, we'd have the filter on our eyes, uh, 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 glasses, Lord, that would help us to, to really embrace and see one another, not just as like family, but we'd see one another as the brothers and sisters that we are to each other and that we would engage by your power with one another in the way that your word calls us to and that we would take seriously the call to care for our own families and our fathers and mothers, Lord, who have lost their loved ones, their spouses, and that we would take and embrace the widow among us so that they would know the love and the care from the family that they don't have here on earth but will have forever in heaven. And so help us in these things, we pray and we ask in Christ's name. All God's people said, amen, amen.